If you'll turn to James 4, James chapter 4, we are in a study of the book of James, and uh, we are motoring through James, quick pace, slow pace. We're going to spend a couple weeks here in James 4, and as I, I said last week, this is a very important, not that there are none that are not important, but the unity, relationships among believers, uh, unity within a church is a big deal. And last week we looked at the source of conflicts and quarrels among us. James says in one, what is the source and of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? And we looked last week through the Bible that that the, the battle that's going on, the battle that is being waged inside of us. That, that in Peter he talked about that, that our flesh and our spirit wage war against each other. And in Galatians 5 he shows that the flesh and the spirit are waging war uh, against one another. And what James is building to here is what he, where, where he's going to eventually lead to and what he talks about in verse 4. We won't get to verse 4 today but eventually he's going to talk about those of us as believers that are pursuing the world, that are giving in to the battle of the flesh, that are giving in to our fleshly desires, that are trying to live in to please the world and get all the things of the world that we can get. But then over here, we're also trying to please the Lord and get all the things of the Lord that we can get. Look at verse 4. He says, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Adulteresses. I mean, spiritual adultery. That, that's where James is, is building. That's where he's headed. And if we're honest with ourselves, every single person in here battles with worldliness at some level. Some more than others, but all of us. I, I told you that Ray and I went down to the Dominican Thursday and Friday, it becomes real apparent your struggle with worldliness when, when you go down there. And, and we met with Dalma, who heads up this girls' orphanage, Pasitos, that we're going to go down, that we've gone down a few times. And there's 60, I'm not sure she knows how many girls are there, to be honest with you. They, there's about 66. And she's very, she said, Hey guys, I got to come show y'all something. My husband, this lady had been praying for her, her husband pastors, and they had been praying uh, for a church. They had been praying for a new building. And so she took us down to show us the, the building. They bought, uh, an individual gave them some money, and they bought a, a place that they're renovating. Now, this is a place. Hear me, a place. There's no floor. There's no roof right now. I said, well, Dalma, where, where are you guys worshiping now? She's all excited. She said, yeah, come with me. I'll show you. I'll show you. It was a place uh, that I promise you was maybe this half the stage. Every Sunday, 40, 40 plus people pack in there. And another 40 stand outside the door with their ear to the hole in the door to hear the word. That, they're that eager to hear the word. That hungry for the word. If you've never been to the Dominican, it's hot. When you wake up in the morning, it's hot. When you sit down for lunch, it's hot. When you go to bed at night, guess what it is? It's hot. But they're that eager for the Word. There's nothing that prevents them from hearing the Word. 
they're, they're serving the Lord, their love for the Lord is simply because, as we saw in that video, He's Lord. It's not for the stuff. It's not because He puts clothes. It's none of that other stuff. It's because of who He is. And, and James is saying, worldliness, Satan is waging a war against our flesh, and he's doing it through stuff, and he's doing it through the things of this world, and he's trying to draw our affections away from the Lord and onto the stuff, away from the Lord for who He is, and onto the stuff of what He gives, away from the Lord for simply Him being Lord, and onto ourself, and making ourselves Lord. Any of you ever been to Disney World? Just flatter me. You've been to Disney World in Orlando? Yeah. Disney World is comprised, for those of you who lied and said you hadn't been there because you don't want to be worldly, that's made up of these little villages. One of those villages is called Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland. Space Mountain is in Tomorrowland. Uh, one of my favorite rides in all the world, Toy Story, is in Tomorrowland. It involves shooting things. It involves competition. I, I remember we were on that, and if you know me, I love competition. We were on that ride the other day, and there's a, there's a cheat app that you can look up on the Internet, and it'll tell you where the big point items are in Toy Story. So I'm kind of secretly acting like I'm doing something. I'm looking like, man, I need to shoot that, I need to shoot that. The ride stuck right at the point with the mega point, the biggest point item that you can hit, last time we were there, it's stuck there. I am lighting that little thing up. I maxed out the score. I have a picture of just the pride in me. I have a picture on my phone of the scoreboard. It's all nines, all nines. And that's just, I, again, pray for me, pray for me. Worldliness, worldliness. I'm asking my son, my wife, other people we're with, what y'all get? What'd y'all shoot? What'd y'all get? What'd y'all get? But Tomorrowland has, a, has a, a, the theme of Tomorrowland, the saying of Tomorrowland is this. The future is today. There, there's a ride in Tomorrowland called the Carousel of Progress. You know, we ride that ride today, and it's like the carousel of, the la of 20 years ago. It, the stuff that they once thought was the future, where they thought everything was headed, and we look at that and it's archaic. I mean, there's people in there carrying radios on their shoulder. Nobody carries radios on their shoulder anymore. Nobody, nobody, nobody's dealing with Walkmen. The theme of that is the future is today. I, I believe in, in some ways that James is, is, is doing somewhat what Disney was trying to do with that carousel of progress. He was trying, hey, this is where we're headed, guys. This is where the world's headed. James, in a sense, what he's doing here in James 4 is he's looking into the future and he's saying if you don't deal with the flesh, if you don't deal with worldliness, if you don't deal with, those, with your sin and, and these sins when they pop up, if you don't deal with them, James is saying, let me tell you where it will take you. Let, let me give you a glimpse into tomorrow land of your life, the tomorrow land of your life, the future is today. He says, let me show you what your future is going to look like if you don't put God at the throne of your life, if you fight that battle and you live for flesh and you live for worldliness and you allow self to dominate you, even if you, even if you toy around with sins, he's saying, let me tell you, let me show you what your tomorrow land is going to look like. Let me show you what your life's going to look like. 
I believe that that is an illustration. And don't lose sight of the scripture. I try to be very careful with illustrations because I don't want you the whole time I'm preaching to think about Tomorrowland and Space Mountain and all these other rides. I want you to be thinking about the scripture. But that's an illustration of what James is doing. The future is today, he's saying. This is, this is what tomorrow is going to hold for your life. This is what's right around the corner if you don't deal with your sin, if you don't deal with worldliness, if you don't, get a, if you don't attack worldliness with, with all your being, if you live according to, as we've seen, if you live according to, godly, to worldly wisdom rather than godly wisdom, if you pattern your life around the ways of the world instead of the ways of the word, he's saying this is what your life's going to look like. And last week we looked at the source of quarrels and conflicts and of, and of, and of worldliness. Today we're going to look at the effects. We're going to be looking at the effects, and you see that on your handout, the effects of worldliness. And, and we're going to finish this next week. I'm just telling you on the front end, there's, there's so many things here that he shows as the effects of worldliness. I wanted to make sure we, we spend time on them, but the effects of worldliness. And the first thing he says, and this is somewhat of a continuation of, of verse 1, but verse 2 he says, the first conflict of worldliness is that you're going to have a conflict in yourself. Conflicts in ourselves. Look at what he says in verse 2. You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Do you see the conflict? Do you see the war that's raging inside of you? You want all this stuff, a lot of stuff that really God doesn't want you to have, and because you want it, you, you begin to do whatever it takes to get it. And look at where James goes. He, he talks about murder. Some of us are in here saying murder. That's What James is saying is that, listen, there is no sin to which a believer is incapable of committing. That's on your handout there. There's no sin. That's what James is saying. I'm showing you the end game. The, every single sin that has ever been committed by the human race sits right here inside of every single one of us. There is absolutely no sin that you and I are incapable of committing. Please hear that. It's only by God's grace that we haven't done worse than what we've done. We, we just read in, in Carrollwood the other day, a girl drove home from Florida State, which was pride bad enough. I mean, I would go to Florida State. I'm like, of all schools, Florida State, we got enough trouble. But she drove home from Florida State, killed her mother and stepfather, and then drove back to Florida State like nothing happened. What, what would cause somebody to do that? James is telling you. She didn't just wake up that morning and just, I think I'll do this. This is to the tomorrow land of worldliness. The tomorrow land of self. The, the inevitable path of where sin will take us if it is unchecked, James is saying, this is where it's going. It's, it, it, it starts small, and if unchecked, it leads us to places we would never been. We would never want to go. And inside every single one of us, the flesh and the spirit as believers are doing war. The, Romans 8, you look at Romans 8, the, the non-believer has nothing in them to check, check sin other than just their conscience. Inside the believer, the, the spirit is causing that conflict. You look at Romans 7, 14 through 25, and I'll summarize it. Paul says, Paul, he says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I, want my, what I want to do. He says, I find in myself the very desires that I hate. 
Inside of me, I'm de- Paul says, I'm desiring the very thing that I don't want to do. Around in verse 21 or 25, he says, Oh, wretched, maybe it's 24, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. And if we're honest, that's the same battle. I, I will bet you all of us can sympathize with something similar to what we want, what we don't, what we know we shouldn't want, and then we find ourselves not wanting what we should want. And Paul is saying there's a battle in every single one of us. Peter said it. We saw it last week. Paul says it is as well in Galatians 5. We saw that last week. And the battle is this. Our flesh wants us to serve and glorify ourselves. My flesh wants Chris to be king. My flesh wants to gratify Chris and glorify Chris. But the Spirit, God's Spirit in us, desires that we serve and glorify God. You see the battle? Those are totally opposite ends and paul says if you give in to worldliness if you pursue worldliness if you give in to the ways of the world it has effects and the first effect is going to be you yourself are going to be conflicted because think about it when we give in to sin when we do what we know we ought not to do the spirit inside of us god inside of us is saying why why? Don't do that. You're better than that. You have the power to not do that. Why are you doing that? You can see the conflict. One of the Spirit's roles is to convict. Thank, thank goodness for that, that God, it is God's grace to convict me here versus allowing me to get to here. Conviction is a good thing. Pain is a good thing. That's, those are gifts of God. And, and James is saying the more you allow worldliness and the more you allow self to rule your life the more conflicted the more double-minded and tormented and miserable you will be look at what he says you 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 lust and do not have so you commit murder i I guarantee you're sitting i would never commit murder i'll bet you that that's exactly what most people who committed murder never imagined that they would commit murder probably never thought that how did it happen? Not dealing with, not dealing with your lust. Allowing it, allowing it to grow. And, and James is saying, if we don't believe that sin is serious, if we don't believe that, that any sin, that all sin is dangerous, that worldliness is dangerous, that it's, that it's Satan warring against you, here's the thing, we won't deal with it strongly. And that's one of the number one ways that Satan battles with us. Is, and, and we hear it all the time, it's just a white lie. We, we categorize sin. Well, that's a little sin. This is a big sin. You know how you get to the big sins? By not dealing with the little sins. And, that, and that's the lie of Satan. If we think it's little, if we think it's insignificant, we won't deal with it. Here, James says, it started with simple lust. It started with you wanting something. You couldn't get it. You didn't deal with it. And guess what? It ended up with murder. And the seriousness, the seriousness behind worldliness and unchecked pleasures in ourselves is it, is it starts within ourselves and it grows. And to, to the tomorrow land of lust, the tomorrow land of worldly lust, the tomorrow land of living for self, of putting self on the throne, is murder. And a whole lot of other sins in between lust and murder. So the effects of worldliness is not only confliction in ourselves, you see that, but it's also confliction in relationships with others. 
And you can think about yourself just to illustrate it. You're on a ride and he's showing you stage after stage after stage. First of all, the first stop is, hey, I'm showing you guys, you're going to be conflicted within yourselves. And secondly, you're going to be conflicted in your other relationships. That's, that's what he's dealing with. You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot contain, so you what? You fight and you quarrel. You, you, you flip over to Matthew 5. Again, we said that James draws a ton of what he's writing out of the Sermon on the Mount. You look at Matthew 5, verse 21 and following. Listen to this. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you were... Look, so James is saying, look, you, don't, you, you guys get concerned about the outward act. I, Jesus is saying, I'm going to deal with what's really going on. I'm going to nip it in the bud. That, that's why you see... Think, that's the seriousness of sin. That's why you see what you see in verse 23. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and therefore remember your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come present your offering. Look at verse 25. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown in prison. Jesus is saying, hey, here's the fruit of anger. Here's the fruit of unchecked sinful desires. It's murder. Murder. And if we don't deal with our sin, if we don't deal with our pleasures for us to be king, here's the thing. If I'm king, that means you're not king. And if my pleasures are number one, that means yours aren't. And guess what? If you prevent me from getting to my end game, if you prevent me from getting to my end game of the self and the pleasures, guess what? You're now the enemy. Because you're preventing me from getting to where I need to go. And guess what? At the end, when you don't deal with that, eventually we'll murder the person to get them out of the way. Why? So we can be on the throne. So our pleasures can be made most of. The, the fruit of the unchecked desires is murder. But, but look down at verse 27. He says not only murder, he says, well, let's talk about adultery. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust in her heart has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see where adultery starts? Adultery starts with an unchecked glance. Adultery starts with you noticing a, 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 a beautiful woman or a, a great-looking guy, and you don't deal with it. You know what your flesh starts to do? Your flesh starts telling you deserve that. Your flesh starts taking that, that glance other places. Flesh start, Now all of a sudden you believe that you deserve that. And guess what happens? Eventually you go after that. And Jesus is saying, look, you committed adultery, my friend, long before you committed the physical act. You already committed adultery. You, you committed murder way before you physically killed the person. Why? In your heart. And, and he's saying it starts in the mind. It starts with a glance. That's innocent enough. I, I mean, it, it requires nothing of a guy. Let's just be honest. It does not require anything of me to notice a beautiful woman. I don't have to try. 
But what do you do with it? See, it's not the first glance, it's the second glance that gets us in trouble. What are you doing with that first glance? You know, anger in and of itself, there are things we ought to be angry about. Ephesians says, be angry and yet do not sin. There are things that we ought to be angry about, but, but, but righteous anger, it's, it's regarding the things of God. I, the, my problem is I'm mainly angry about the things that, about Chris's righteousness. And what do you do with them? And James is saying, you know where murder starts? Jesus himself said, you know where murder starts? It starts with the unchecked lust. It starts with simply not dealing with your anger towards another individual. Ultimately, it starts in you and it starts in me. And our selfishness is the root of the outward act of, of murder. And again, worldly wisdom says, no, no, you're justified in your anger. You're right to be angry. You should be angry. And Satan just whispers in your ear. They deserve it. You, just like in that video. No, no. You, Satan says, no, they should come to me. You know what God's word is saying? No, no, you should go to them. He's, that's why he says in Matthew 5, go deal with it now before it grows. Go deal with it now before it gets even worse. Deal with it now. And all the while, godly wisdom is saying, no, 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 go deal with it now. Go humble yourself, repent before that person, admit you're sorry, and deal with it and clean it up. Why? Because eventually it will take you places you don't want to go. The tomorrow land of anger, the tomorrow land of resentment, the tomorrow land of, of selfishness is murder. It's murder. And, and what James is doing, it, the God is doing through James and His grace is forcing us to realize the depth of the evil of our sin. We think, oh, I'm just angry at the person. J Jesus is saying, you're not just angry at the person. It goes so much deeper than that. And it's not just anger. That sin is going to take you places you never, ever thought you'd go. Why? Because self becomes to be king. And Satan whispers in your ear, you deserve it. God's keeping you from something. He's being mean to you. He's do and, and guess what? Eventually you go after it. What James is saying is the longing for earthly pleasures leads us to places that we would have never dreamed we would go if you leave them unchecked. You, you, you think about these guys that you see all the time and gals leading these Ponzi schemes and defrauding people and all that. You know what led them to do that? A, a desire for fleshly, a desire for, a desire for flesh. Starts small and eventually they're, they're what, what they did small here, now they're... Now they're Stealing billions of dollars. Why? Because of flesh. And when earthly wisdom and fleshly desires, they're, when they're allowed to dominate our lives, James is saying, this is what Tomorrowland looks like. Murder, and adultery. And I'm sure some of us are sitting here, we've seen it in our own lives, we've seen it in the lives of our loved ones. Worldly wisdom says, you have a right to be angry. Godly wisdom says, no, you go deal with it now. Ephesians 4, 21, he says, If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as, Jesus, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, listen to what he says, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Verse 23, And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on a new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. Listen to this the newness, the Christian, laying aside falsehood. 
Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Do you see the point? See what, you see what Paul is saying? Why do you deal with your anger immediately? Because Satan wants to take advantage of that anger. And he wants to take it places you never, meant to, you never dreamed it'd go. He's saying, deal with it now. See, we think we're okay. Well, I'll just be not. No, no, you're angry. Deal with it. Go to the person. Talk it out. And when somebody comes to you and talks it out, forgive them. Don't be angry to them. Forgive them. And deal with it. That, that's why this passage is so, so important. Because, again, a lack of unity and, and relationships to one another, that's what we're to be about. Relationships. Loving one another. Serving one another. If we're a body of people that, that hate each other, but we act all smiley and cheeky while we're here, the world does that. The world pretends they like you, and all the while they're, they're stealing from you. Why, why would we be the same? Deal with it. And all throughout this walk to murder and adultery, listen, and, and I thought about this, all throughout, you say, how do you get from lust to murder? There's time there, and all throughout there, listen, the grace of God gives us opportunities to get off the carousel before it gets too late. That's exactly what we saw in that video. God literally brought that woman to her to say, hey, forgive her, deal with it now. You know what she did? She put it off. Next stop. All throughout this carousel, all throughout Tomorrowland, you go on the carousel progress, you go on that little ride up top that takes you through. There are places you can get off. That's exactly what God is doing. I'm giving you opportunities to get off this ride and repent Things like repentance. Maybe the next stop is forgiveness. Maybe the next stop is an opportunity to serve that person or serve alongside that very person that you don't want to serve alongside. God's saying, I'm doing this for a reason. What about prayer? What about love? That's why time and time again, God says, serve your enemies. Serve those who persecute you. Why? It's hard to stay mad at somebody when you're serving alongside them or when you're serving them, when you're praying for them, when you're loving on them. And God just rubs that stuff out. Our flesh is not going to want to do it, but the Spirit says, no, you do it. You do it. And even, even again, even when a fellow believer confronts us about our sin, do you understand when done rightly, when done according to Matthew 18 in love? Galatians 6 says, you know, you, you, you confront one another in your sin, but be careful that you don't get tempted yourself. That's love. That's God's grace saying, hey, I'm going to stop you here at the anger before you end up killing somebody, before it goes even worse, or before your anger. Here, here's what also happens. I'm going to stop it in you before you go around and you infect all kinds of other Christians with gossip and running your mouth and talking and, and tell them about the problem. And now, now I'm angry about this person. And I did, two minutes ago, I didn't even care. I didn't even know. But now in your anger, see what you're doing? You're infiltrating the whole body of Christ and now we're all bitter. And now we're all, and you see how it spreads? See how well, he's saying, don't do that. Worldliness and all these things, it kills us. It's killing us. And the desire for God and His Word, listen to me, that begins to put away these fleshly desires. When the Word of God is richly dwelling in you, guess what you begin to pursue? You begin to pursue the Word. And we've got to be real careful in our, in our children. I thought about this, how we teach and how we raise up our kids because we can say one thing and do another. I, I, I remember, and there's, there's a lot to this, but I remember one day 
Bradley heard of a need. And he went in his room and got every single dime he had in his room. Every dollar, everything he had. And brought it to me and wanted to give it. And you know what, as a dad in my flesh, I was torn inside. Why? Because I love the things of the world. And I was convicted, why, why wouldn't I do that? See, our young children, they, they haven't bought into the ways of the world. And, and in many, they, they, haven't been, they haven't fallen prey to all these things. You know what, Bradley, all he knew was this. There's a need, and I have the ability to meet it, and I'm going to meet it. And I almost found myself wanting to talk him out of it. Oh, just give some of it, Bradley. Just do part of it. It's conflict. And we got to be careful that we're not teaching our kids, hey, get all the things of the world you can, but then over here we'll have all the things of Christian that you can. And hey, live that double life. Be cool with the cool people at school. Be in the in crowd. Do everything they do, but also hey, witness to them. It don't work that way. Matthew 5 is very clear. You cannot serve two masters. You're going to have to choose. He says you're going to love the one or you're going to hate the other. You, the double-mindedness, again, that is Satan's, Satan's ploy to make us think that we can be double-minded, that we can love the world and love Lord at the same time. 1 John 2.15, very clear. Do not love the world or the things of the world, for if anyone loves the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You're not, that's why he says in, in verse 4, you adulteresses, friendship. Friendship with the world, you know what that is? He says it's hostility, hatred towards God, enmity. There's no neutrality here, none. This is the battle that all of us face. But not only with ourselves, the conflict is not only with ourselves, it's not only with others. Look what James says in, in verse 3. It's conflicts with our prayers. Worldliness leads to conflicts in our prayer life. You ask, first of all in verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. You know what pride tells us? I'll get it on my own. Pride tells me I'll do it myself. I'll deal with this myself. Then he says this, you ask, but when you do humble yourselves and you do ask, listen to this, you ask and you do not receive. You see the conflict? Because you ask with what? Wrong motives. Why are you asking? So that you can spend it on yourselves. So you can spend it on your what? It says pleasures. Worldliness, selfishness. It not only leads to frustration between you and I and frustration within myself, ultimately it leads to frustration between me and God. Why? Because I'm asking Him for stuff and He's not giving them. You know what that, you know what that leads to? Frustration. It leads to anger. And why? Because we're asking for the wrong things. But here, interesting enough, James says the things that they're asking for aren't the problem. The problem here is what? The reason. It's not the what, it's the why. And I've said it many times before. The what in our lives is not the problem a lot of times, it's the why. We're good at doing the right things. The problem is why you're doing the right things. You doing it for your kingdom? You doing it so they'll see you? Or are you doing it so they'll see God? We, we're good at doing the right things, but it's the why. 
And in our pride, our pride and our selfishness and our worldliness, we live in a world that says, hey, you want it, you go get it, you got it, you do this, individuality. And he says, you know what, that worldliness, it says, first of all, you don't even ask God. And if we're honest with ourselves, and a lot of times, prayer is like a last resort. Oh, it's come to that, you got to pray about it. You couldn't do anything on your own, it's come to that, you got you to humble yourself and pray about it. Or we mask it with, remember the video? Let me pray about it a week. Why would she want to pray about it a week? She knew what she was going to do. She already had her mindset about what she was going to do. That, that prayer was just cloaked with self-righteousness. She already had her mind made up. She was just, that was called delayed obedience, which is disobedience. And here's the deceitfulness of Satan. We have a father who James said in James 1.17, he is our father. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And Satan deceives us into trusting ourselves, into trusting an omniscient, omnipresent, immutable, loving, holy God. And I'll trust myself over him. Limited resources, limited knowledge, limited ability, sinful. And you know what? I'll trust myself instead of trusting him. I'll glorify myself instead of glorifying him. It's deceitfulness. It's the deceitfulness of self. It's the deceitfulness of this world. But, but not only pride, when we do ask, pride prevents us from asking, but when we ask, here's the other conflict. We ask for the right thing with the wrong reason. I mean, the idea that I can go to God and, and with my request, Hebrews says, approach him with confidence. John 15, ask anything you want according to his name and I'll give it to you. Think about that. Look at Matthew 7. Prayer is phenomenal, unbelievable thought. Me, a wretched sinner, can approach God with confidence? Just think about that. That, that is chaotic. You ever have kids in your neighborhood that just barge into your house because they know one of your children that are inside the house? We, we have some of those. They'll just walk in. All right, then. They, why do they barge in with confidence? Because they know who's in the house. Oh, I'm just, I'm just here to see Bradley. Okay. Hey, I'm going to get something out of the fridge. Okay. Why are they bold? Because they have a relationship with your son. You know, why, you know why the writer of Hebrews is saying we can be bold in prayer? Because i got a relationship with his son. You know why I can barge in on God? Because i got a relationship with Jesus Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection. That, that, I can, that I can go just barge in and ask. But you better do it. You better do it with the right motives. James, Matthew 7, he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. It, he says, For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and him who knocks will be opened. That would be awesome if that verse stopped right there. Like if verses 9 through 11 weren't there, if we could just get them out. And, and the rest of Scripture, that would be awesome. But guess what? Or what man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father? Here's the point. What he's saying is, sometimes we ask for the wrong things. No, he's saying sometimes God, he's saying God will never get, he will give you the good gift is what he's saying there. Here's the problem. In our sinfulness, we don't know it. But sometimes what we're asking for is equivalent to the snake. And sometimes in our sinfulness, you know what we're really at? What we're asking for is the stone. See, the flip of that applies. 
I'm so sinful in my sinfulness. I'll go to God and I'll, I, I, I can ask for, I'll ask for a snake. And God's saying, look, it's going to kill you. It's going to draw you away from me. Why would I do that? It would be like your child coming to ask you for his allowance and you know he's spending the allowance on drugs. Oh, here you go, Johnny. No, no good parent's going to do that. Or they're going to they're waste it on themselves. The word there, the word used there, and for in prayers, the word used for uh, pleasures, it literally means wasteful. It's the same word used in Luke with regards to the prodigal son. The word for spend, it means wasteful. Same word is used in Luke 15 with regards to the prodigal son, how he wasted his father's inheritance. And James is saying the what? He, he, you can't come to God and ask for the right thing with the wrong motives. You want to spend it on yourself. You want to ultimately be drawn away from the one true God and expect God to answer that. There, there are conditions to our, our barging in. Just like in my home, there, hey, you come barging in. If we're having dinner, you can barge right out. You know, if, if, if you're at odds with my son, if, if, if he's told me about some things that have been going on that aren't good, guess what? You, 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 you better clean this up. John 15, 7 says we have to abide in the Lord before we can expect an answer. James 1, 6, we saw, he says, you better ask without doubting if you expect an answer. There's some qualifications there. And James is saying, hey, in order, in order for God to answer our prayers, we've got to ask for the right motives. And, and there's a huge... Think, just pause here for just a second. Think about this for just a second. Regarding your prayers, are they being answered? Do you feel like your prayers are being answered? The question is why. Why or why not? Are, are any of these applicable? What, what are you asking for? Why are you asking for what you're asking for? What's the end game? Is it equipping you to do your mission? Is it equipping you to be glorified? Or is it equipping you to glorify God? Is the end game yourself? Or is the end game God? Is the end game worldliness? Or is it godliness? I read a quote this week says this, God bestows not gifts only, but the enjoyment of them. Think about that. But the enjoyment which contributes to nothing beyond itself is not what he gives an answer to prayer. He's saying the enjoyment is not just in the thing given. That's what he's saying there. And petitions to him which have no better end in view are not, better pray are not prayers. If we're praying so that we can get something, so that we can enjoy the something and not the giver of the something, that's what he's saying. If you're more interested in the something, if I'm more interested in the something than the giver of the something, he's saying there's a problem. God will not, he goes on to say, God will not, because of his character, answer these foolish and selfish prayers, and thankfully so. See, prayer is more than simply, you see it on your handout, it's more than simply saying the right words and thinking we can manipulate God. Prayer comes from a trusting relationship. You, you ever, you ever you, we see it in our kids. You ever been there where you know good and well your kids are trying to manipulate you? 
You know good and well the end game. You know you can see through it in your kids. They don't want what they want for what they pretend to want it for. What do you do? You don't, you don't answer that. You, you know they're trying to manipulate you. And when God doesn't answer, don't be fooled into thinking He doesn't care for you, He doesn't hear for you. All that is satanic wisdom. Our, our children, sometimes they'll, they'll want, like our, our daughter especially, she's a terrible eater. She'll want, but if you fed her Snickers at night, she, or a milkshake, the girl has no appetite. All of a sudden, about 8.45, Dad, can I have a milkshake? I mean, she don't mind eating that. Here's the point. When I say no, you know what sometimes, oh, you don't love me. You, no, the fact that I do love you is the reason why you can't have a milkshake for dinner. Oh, you don't care about me. You don't love me. You like Bradley more than me. No, he's just sitting here at the table eating. That, that's immaturity. But do you know, we do that to God sometimes. He doesn't answer our selfish, foolish requests. You know what we do? God doesn't love me. He doesn't care for me. No, He loves you and cares about you so much, He's not willing to give you a snake. He's not willing to give you a stone. He's not willing to give you an allowance so that you can go destroy yourself with it and buy drugs and be drawn away from Him and glorify self. He's not willing. He loves you that much. And He knows the thing that you're asking for will hurt you or draw you away. And you know what He's saying? He's saying, I'm allowing you to get off that train before it takes you to a destination you don't want to go. And He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Therefore, if we don't get it, guess what? We need to trust Him. Maybe it was the why. Maybe it was the what. Let, 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 let me bring this home real quick and close this thing and land this thing. And look, look, look at 2 Corinthians 10. Turning your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 10, just a couple of books over to the left. Paul, Paul, Paul sums this up for us very, very wisely on the battle that's going on and and, and, and glorifies Christ in it. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. Start in verse 3, actually. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. You see the war that's going on? For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofted thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Paul is reminding his readers, he's reminding us, he lived in a system that was opposed to God, that was opposed to his word. And that's the world system. That's when in 1 John, when he says, do not love the world or the things of the world, the world's system, the world's way of doing things, the world's economy, if you will. And notice what he says, taking every thought captive. Paul knew the importance of a thought. It's just a thought. You know what Paul says? He says, take every thought captive to what? The obedience of Christ. We've got to discipline ourselves where... We learn, first of all, we've got to have the Word richly dwelling in us, and then we can take every thought that comes into our mind, and we can sift it through the Word. And if it jives with the Word, guess what we do? We keep it. And if it conf conflicts the Word, we throw it out. Because here's the deal. Thoughts are like seeds. What happens if you put a seed in the ground, if you allowed a seed to sit in the ground, 
Guess what that seed does? Grows. In a perfect world. Not the seeds that I tend to plant don't tend to grow, but I've heard that seeds put in the ground, if you know what you're doing, they grow. We'll just assume that. They grow. Anybody got weeds in their yard? Yeah, it starts out this teeny little weed. You pull it up then, it's easy. You ignore it, guess what happens? It's hard work. You end up spending half a Saturday out there pulling them things up, and now you got a big brown spot in your yard. Then the Homeowners Association calls you. <laughs> Fine, I'll just leave the green weeds there and mow those things. At least they're green. But they're like seeds. And they get bigger. And they get tangled up in all the good grass. And guess what? When you go to pull those weeds out, you know what you do? You end up hurting the good grass. We allow worldliness and unbiblical thoughts to sit, to germinate in our heart. You know what they do? They get all tangled up in our lives. And then when we go to get them out, you know what it does? It hurts. And we're scarred. And it hurts others. Why? Because we allowed a simple thought to sit there and to grow. And, and, and what, what he's saying, and it's the same thing that James said, ta- attack the enemy at the seed, attack it at the root. It's, it's not just anger, attack it. Attack that seed that sits in your heart where you're first angry with that individual, attack it. Why? Because it's going to grow up to something bigger and it's going to destroy you and it's, and, and, and it's going to build a fortress in your life. That's why Paul says we are destroying, we are the destruction of fortresses. Satan is, 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 a, is a terrible enemy. And he wants to set up a fortress. He wants to set up a home in your life and my life. Destroy it. But when he lays the first block, when he lays that first block, destroy it. Don't toy around. We submit everything. We submit everything, everything about our lives to the Word of God. And the application is this, Lord... As you, as you meditate and you hope, go home and pray about this and think about it, Lord, is, are there any lies that I'm believing? Any ways of this world that I'm building my life around that are contrary to your word? Do I hold any ill will towards anybody? Lord, if you'll reveal their names to me, give me the courage to go to them and confess it. Entire churches are destroyed because one or two people get in a fight. I've seen it. If there, if there are lies I'm believing, if there is ill will I have toward, if there's anything in my life, Lord, reveal it to me and give me the boldness to deal with it. Anything that I'm building my life on, on that sand and not the firm foundation of your word, give me the wisdom to, to do something about it now. Because when the storms come, Matthew 7, guess what? Destroyed that house built on the sand. And it says, great was its fall. This right here in James is what causes conflicts. This is what destroys our lives. It destroys the lives of others. It destroys churches. It thwarts the work of God. And I pray that we would be a people that deal with it when it's small, that we would deal with it when that seed first lodges in our heart or in our mind. We'll throw it out. We'll recognize it as a lie because the Word of God is richly dwelling in us. We'll throw it out. And, And one of the ways, hear me, one of the ways... Satan does that. 2 Corinthians 4, it says, The God of this world has blinded the minds and the hearts of the unbelieving. One of the main ways he does that is to make you think you're not sinful. And to make you think that your sin hasn't separated you from God. And to fool you into thinking that your sin is not really that bad and you're going to get to heaven on your own or God doesn't exist, they're lies. They're all lies. And then once you're a believer, he continues lying to you about God. I give you Adam and Eve in the garden. 
by God's grace, deal with the lies. By God's grace, trust the word over the lies. 